0: Live Creative Now, Episode 107. Welcome to Live Creative Now with Melissa Dinwiddie, a weekly podcast to inspire you to create your art and share your work. Because that's how you will change the world. Live Creative Now. Live Creative Now. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, Passion Pluralite Artist, Happiness Catalyst, and Creativity Instigator, and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, here to address all your questions about living a full-color creative life. Whether you think of yourself as not artistic, not creative, which is a lie, or you think of yourself as an artist of any kind, or anything in between, no matter how you define yourself. Feeding your creative hungers makes you feel more alive. It's how you change your life. And it's how you change the world. A little note before we dive into today's episode. (laughs) We are in the middle of a big kitchen renovation, kitchen remodel. And so (laughs) There might be, I don't know, banging noises or drilling noises. There was a door slamming noise that you might have just heard. There's work workmen downstairs, cabinet installers. So yeah, just a little caveat. I do not have a <laughs> soundproofed studio in which I record these podcasts. It's my it's my studio office upstairs in my little two bedroom apartment um, townhouse. So yeah, there's noise. (laughs) So with that caveat, here we go. So I was on a studio workday check in call last month. Uh, Studio workdays are something that we do in my creative sandbox community. And it's sort of an all-day, let's-get-stuff-done-together accountability group. And how that works is everybody logs into a video conference room at set times throughout the day to very briefly say what they're going to work on, and then we all go get to work. And then we come back at designated times throughout the day, usually a couple hours apart to report back on our progress. And it is awesome. I cannot tell you how many times members have said, I never would have gotten this done if it weren't for Studio Workday, if it weren't for knowing that I was going to have to come back and report back to you guys <laughs> that, you know, what I had done. And I didn't want to have to come back and say, um, I didn't do it. So I did it. And thank you. And I can't tell you how many times I have said that too. (laughs) I got the thing done. Because I knew I was gonna have to report back to everybody on the call in the video conference platform. So anyway, that is all a little context. So last month, I was on the first check in call of the day at 9am. And it happened to be just me and one other person on that particular call. And when I asked how she was doing, I'm just like, hey, how's it going? She said she was feeling pretty deflated. So this particular person is an artist and she had, uh, somebody had expressed interest in buying one of her paintings. So that, you know, that felt really great. But then she told him what the price was and he balked at the price. And so she immediately offered him a discount which is so often what a lot of us do, right? And she never heard back. And now she was feeling pretty bad. Now, the first thing that I should say here is that studio workday calls are not coaching calls. They are very brief check-in calls where Creative Sandbox members briefly share what we're going to work on in the next chunk of time so that we can spend the maximum amount of that time actually doing the work, right? That's the whole point. They're work days. There are two group calls every month in the creative sandbox that are coaching calls, Q&A calls, office hours, whatever you want to call them. We actually call them rally calls. They're group calls where creative sandbox members meet up in real time in the same video conference platform we meet up with me and each other in that video conference room and members get to ask me any question they want and if they're not able to join in live then members can post you can post your question in a special thread in our Facebook group and I will address that question on the call So you get to listen to my answer on the recording. It's pretty cool. And it's especially cool because given that I charge $300 an hour for one-on-one mentoring, and I accept very, very few people, I I just don't have very much time for one-on-one mentoring. This kind of access to me is a phenomenal value. And Creative Sandbox members get it twice a month as part of their membership. But again, not on studio workday calls, those calls are for very brief check ins about what we're going to work on and then reporting back on what we got done. They're not for coaching or mentoring. But sometimes I just can't help myself because that's how I am. (laughs) That's just what I do. And it happened to be on this particular call, it happened to be just me And this one member, because for whatever reason, on that particular day, at that particular time, nobody else was there. And I couldn't not say something, because that's who I am. And because I saw her doing what so many other people do, especially creatives, And what I have done myself so many times in my own life, and it has never, never served me well, and that is undercharging in an attempt to make my offering more desirable. So in that moment, I went on a bit of a rant, (laughs) and I ended up basically giving this person Uh, basically like a half hour coaching. (laughs) What I would normally charge $300 an hour for, she got for free. So because she's a member of the creative sandbox, and that's what happens when you are a member, sometimes you just randomly get $300 an hour worth of coaching if you show up. So here is what happens when you undercharge. Number one, you end up resenting them. And resentment is actually anger at yourself, misdirected at someone else through the lens of victimhood. You think you're angry at them. That's how it comes out. But it's actually anger at yourself. Because you were the one who undercharged. In this particular case, that's what the resentment is about. You're not getting paid enough. And that anger is misdirected at them through the lens of victimhood. Oh, I'm being victimized because I'm not getting paid enough. Well, whose fault is that? You're the one who set that price. So I actually learned that during my dating days when I had to start really setting limits. And when somebody went too far, I was the one who didn't set those limits. So when I started feeling resentful, when somebody went too far, I realized it wasn't their fault. I was the one who hadn't set clear boundaries. I learned pretty quickly That if I didn't want to feel resentful, I was going to have to learn to set boundaries, set limits. Pricing is a way of setting limits. All right, so that's the first thing that happens when you undercharge. You become resentful. The second thing that happens when you undercharge is that they undervalue what they receive, How can they, your price is setting a value. How can they possibly know what the value is except by the price that you put on it, right? If you put a very low price on what you are offering to the world, you are establishing value. And they are going to undervalue it if you put a lower price on it than what the sweet spot is for that offer. The third thing that happens is that they will then go on and undervalue all other similar work that other people are putting out in the world. I saw this most uh, frequently clearly In the calligraphy world, when I was working as a professional freelance calligrapher, oh my goodness, it is so common for calligraphers to undervalue our work. Not, I mean, I could go into the sexism that plays into that, because most freelance calligraphers that I knew got into calligraphy, they were women, who got into calligraphy because they didn't think that they were artistic, didn't think that they were artists, but I have nice handwriting so I can get into calligraphy. They were often housewives who undervalued their work to begin with because they didn't think that they had anything of value to offer to the world because they grew up in a sexist society and were undervalued as women And so it's very hard for them to value their work. So they would sell their work for less than it cost them to frame it. Crazy. Crazy. So they are subsidizing their buyers. Buyers are paying them less than it cost them to produce the work. Then buyers are not seeing calligraphy in general as being something of value. So all other calligraphers who are trying to make a living, who do not have husbands who are supporting them, have a very hard time doing that, making a living wage, because the buyers are used to paying slave wages. So yeah, you end up undercutting everyone else who does the kind of work you do, and you damage not only yourself, you damage the entire market. Something to think about. So let's look at this in the extreme. I know a number of people who are so uncomfortable with the idea of charging money for their work, for the value that they've created, whether it be artwork or consulting or anything else. That they refuse. They just give it away for free. That just, you know, eliminates the discomfort, right? Now, this is their choice. Absolutely, free choice. But is this really doing a service to the people they're giving their work away to? Maybe. Maybe not. Because People tend not to value what they do not invest in. People tend not to value what they do not invest in. Now, the investment doesn't have to be in money, by money. People can invest in various different ways. They can invest with money. They can invest with time. They can invest with their emotions. They can invest with all kinds of different things. But think about this, how many free ebooks do you have just languishing on your hard drive? (laughs) I have a lot. (laughs) How many free webinars have you signed up for, but never attended? I offer free webinars every month or so. And the the rate of attendance compared to the rate of the number of people who sign up for them a lot more people sign up than actually attend every month i can tell you that much and i'm no different i sign up for a lot more free webinars than i actually attend including the replays i will also tell you that when i used to offer free trial memberships to my creative sandbox community at the end of my free webinars, I would get a whole lot of signups. But virtually all of them would cancel at the end of the trial period. Interesting. I was attracting a lot of freebie seekers. Not people who were truly interested in becoming members of the community and adding value to the community and Engaging with the community and investing in the community. Now, this is not to say that free trials and free webinars are never a good idea. For some markets and some audiences, they work fabulously. But just because they work for someone else does not mean that they will work in your particular situation. Again, people tend not to value what they do not invest in. And again, it doesn't have to be money. But if they're not invested, they're not going to value it. And my freebie seeking trial members were not invested. They were just looking for a freebie. So They didn't value it enough to stick around. People tend not to value what they do not invest in. Back when my main gig, my main job was being a ketubah artist, making Jewish marriage contracts. That's what a ketubah is. And I have a link in the show notes to my ketubah website. So you can see, see what that looks like, what a ketubah is. Back in that time of my life, I designed a whole suite, a whole line of invitations to match my ketubah prints. These Jewish marriage contracts, whole line of invitations and stationery to match my ketubah prints. And I paid for booths at several wedding fairs. I think I did four of them thinking that this is going to be the magic bullet, the silver bullet that would revive my flagging business. It's sort of a bad metaphor because a silver bullet is something that kills things. <laughs> and I was looking for something to revive my flagging business. Maybe that's why it didn't work. But anyway, because I was so desperate for money because my business had gone down so, so much, I... Offered bargain basement pricing, thinking that that would make me an attractive option that would get me lots of clients. I had these gorgeous premium invitations at bargain basement prices. What's not to love? How could I lose, right? Except that I couldn't actually compete. With the super cheap online DIY invitations on price, because my expenses for the papers that I was using, the layers and the you know, all the various different things, the, the materials, were expensive. So I couldn't compete on price, not to mention my time involved. And my, my pricing was too low to make sense. For the premium product that I was offering. So it set up this cognitive dissonance for shoppers, for the brides and grooms at the wedding fairs. And the few clients that I did get, not to mention that they could smell my desperation, that always sends people running, but I did get a few clients. And the few clients that I did get, I resented like crazy because after all was said and done, I ended up getting paid slave wages for all the time and materials that I invested in these jobs. But whose fault was that? It wasn't the client's fault. They spotted a good deal and they snagged it. I was the one who set those slave wage prices. And the clients tried to bargain me down more and more and more and more because People tend not to value what they do not invest in. I found that the clients who pay pay the least are often the most difficult to work with. People tend not to value what they do not invest in. Meanwhile, here's another example. I was at an art gallery over the weekend, and I paid very close attention to the prices on the artwork Because price tells a story. And when you are pricing your own work, if you sell things, if you offer services, what story do you want to tell with your pricing? If without anything else to anchor value, if you can't say my product or my service is going to, I don't know, give you a 10x return on your investment or something like that. If you don't have something, uh, some kind of clear metric like that to anchor value, people are going to look at the price and that is going to anchor the value in their minds. So if something costs zero dollars, in general, people are going to assume it is worth nothing. If something costs $25, in general, people are going to assume it is worth $25. If something costs $25,000, in general, people are going to assume it is worth $25,000. Now, obviously, this is this is a vast generalization. I live in Silicon Valley where a two-bedroom townhouse they're they're selling for over a million dollars. So things are crazy here. And you can find a painting that, you know, you could buy a painting by a famous artist that could, you know, that's basically canvas stretched around some board that could sell for millions of dollars, right? Canvas is not inherently worth millions of dollars. So Price is, is, is relative, right? But people tend not to value what they do not invest in. Vast generalization, but I noticed I was paid close attention to my responses to the prices of the art when I was in that art gallery over the weekend. And I noticed that the art that was priced very cheaply felt cheap to me. Whereas the art that was priced higher felt more valuable. This is particularly relevant to me right now because I have an open studio coming up in oh my god, two weekends. Ah! <laughs> I've been playing general uh, full-time general contractor for this kitchen remodel, so I have not had time to even practically think about it except to make art. But like preparing for the open studio, the downstairs is a warehouse right now with it's insane. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm just praying that the kitchen is done and the downstairs is cleared out. So I will actually have time to set up for open studios before before my open studio is, is uh, scheduled, which is May 13th or 14th. As part of Silicon Valley Open Studios, it's the thirty-first year of this huge, multiple cities-wide event where hundreds of artists open their studios to the public. And I will be showing. And it's it's over three weekends, so I'm exhibiting the second weekend, May thirteenth through fourteenth. And I will be showing over a hundred, over a hundred of my original artworks. I have, I don't have an exact count, but it's, it may even be 200 at this point. I don't know. Everything from these little ultra mini two inch by two inch ca- stretch canvases to uh, pieces, 20 inch by 20 inch. That's the largest. Everything from pieces on paper to stretch canvas, to canvas board, to wooden panel and all different media, a lot of mixed media, and all of them will be for sale. And let me tell you, that visit to the art gallery, and the conversation I had with a Creative Sandbox member, all of that has had put pricing very, you know, at the forefront of my mind. And it has made me reconsider last year's pricing strategy. Last year, at the, my open studio, my thinking was, gee, I have all these paintings, I have so many paintings, I'd really love for them to find new homes. Why don't I offer crazy low pricing to blow out my inventory and make room for new stuff? I have this two-bedroom townhouse, (laughs) I'm running out of room, let's offer crazy low pricing and blow it all out. So I offered my small pieces, my four by four inch, five by five inch, and six by six six inch paintings at super low special open studio prices. And if people paid cash, I offered even lower pricing to make it easy so I wouldn't have to make change and stuff. Super low prices that were less than half my regular prices. Guess how many I sold? My plan was to blow out my inventory, right? Guess how many I sold of those small paintings? I sold a grand total of two, two. I had maybe 80 paintings. I don't, I don't remember exactly of those little small pieces. I sold two so much for my grand plan to blow up my inventory. Now compare that with about, it was maybe about 10 years ago when I had my previous open studio at a friend's place, and I had a lot less inventory. And I had, I remember I had one piece, framed piece, and I was just tired of having it around the studio. And I had lowered the price over the years in the hopes of getting rid of it, but nobody ever bit. And I remember somebody saying to me, if you can't sell a piece, raise the price. And I thought, well, that sounds stupid. But I thought, what the hell, I might as well try it. So I raised the price. And guess what? It's sold. Hmm, <laughs> interesting. So guess what my pricing strategy is going to be for Open Studios this year? I don't know that I'm going to raise the pricing on all of my paintings, but I'm sure not going to lower it to less than half the regular price. Not trying that again. Price tells a story. What story do you want to tell with your pricing? And my plan to blow out my inventory by lowering my prices to less than half, I sold two. It did not blow out my inventory, which was the plan to get rid of my art. It did not help me get rid of my art. If I had kept my pricing the same and I had sold one piece, I would have been better off. So people tend not to value what they do not invest in. Price tells a story. What story do you want to tell with your pricing? So all this talk of pricing is the perfect segue to two announcements. The first announcement is that my pricing on my Creative Sandbox community is going to be going up. Given that one-on-one mentoring with me is $300 an hour, and you can get two hours of real-time access to me and rally calls every single month in the Creative Sandbox community. And sometimes either very few people show up to those calls because people people get busy, the timing doesn't work for them or whatever, or The people who show up don't have any specific questions and they just want to hang out. They just want to be a fly on the wall. If you join for the rally calls alone, the membership of $39 a month is a phenomenal deal. It's insane. Plus, you get an amazing community, which is really why I started the Creative Sandbox. I wanted to create the community that I needed as a creative. I wanted to feel less alone. I wanted to be surrounded by a tribe of diverse creatives walking the same kind of path that I'm walking, the creative sandbox way. I wanted to be with people who get me. And I wanted a place where I could go with my frustrations and challenges as well as my victories, and my successes, where I could share what I'm working on and share when I'm banging my head against the wall because I know that they get it. And that is the creative sandbox. Now, I share a lot of stuff here on the podcast and on my blog. I'm pretty open and transparent. You, If you have followed me at all, you see that. But there's a lot of stuff that I don't share here that I do share in the creative sandbox, because that is my inner circle. So they, they get the inside scoop that nobody else does. They're my special peeps. There's stuff that is just too personal to share here. Because you know, the world It's like, (laughs) I'm not going to share everything on the podcast. But the creative sandbox, it's like, that's my peeps. It's like a lab and a salon, and a girl's night in all wrapped into one. And it's a whole range of types of creators. We got scientists in there who don't primarily identify as creatives at all. And we've got self identified artists and writers and musicians and everything in between. The one thing that joins us all together, though the the thread thread, the common denominator is that creative expression is important to us. We want to be creating in some way in our lives, even if it's just, you know, that little 15 minutes of doodling in the morning, which is quite honestly like that's the main way that I'm creating right now is my 15 minutes of doodling in the morning. We want to be living full color lives and we're women. It's all only women. Sorry, guys. This is a women-only group. So if that's you and you want to join us, I have just opened the doors again. And for a limited time, the price is $39 a month. Or you can save two months and join for $390 a year. And the way you do that is just go to creativesandboxcommunity.com. That's creativesandboxcommunity.com. So that's announcement number one. The doors are open and for a limited time, and I don't have an exact date of when the price is going to be going up, but probably in the next month. So $39 a month or $3.90 a year, creativesandboxcommunity.com. If everything I just described sounds like you, sounds like it'd be a good fit, I would love to have you. So, Announcement number two is pricing CPR sessions. So if all this talk about pricing has made you realize that you could use some help with your specific pricing issues, I'm opening up four spots for pricing CPR sessions. Now, these are quick laser coaching sessions to assess one specific pricing issue and help you find the sweet spot. So what we'll do is we will assess your audience, your offer, and your price. Simple. It's 30 minutes, $150, boom. And here's a special offer where you can save 20%. Just buy a brand new copy of my book, The Creative Sandbox Way. There's a link in the show notes. Use that link to buy the book. It's an affiliate link. So you do need to use that link. Go to the show notes, livecreativenow.com slash 107. Buy the book. Forward your receipt to hello at melissadinwitty.com. There's info right there in the show notes. With pricing CPR in the subject line, and I'll send you a discount link to save 20%. So it ends up being $120 for 30 minutes instead of 150. Boom. That is your other announcement. Pricing CPR sessions, four spots available. We'll find a time on the calendar that works for both of us. 30 minutes, $120 if you buy a new copy of my book from the link and forward your receipt to hello at com with pricing CPR in the subject line. All the info is in the show notes at livecreativenow.com slash 107. All right, now it's time for something cool. And this week's something cool is tea tree oil as a miracle treatment for that annoying orange-pink mold that grows on your grout and caulk in your shower. So (laughs) we had these awful black mold stains on our shower grout, which was there when I bought the place back in 2006. And a couple years ago, we finally had our shower regrouted. And it, it was fantastic. It all looked white and shiny and sparkly, and it was wonderful. And I have been so vigilant about squeegeeing and even toweling dry the tiles and the corners, you know, the pan and everything. And I'm way more vigilant than my, than my husband. There's no way I can get him to do this. But after he leaves for work, because I work at home, I towel down all the drips that he didn't catch, I dry it. And still, that horrible orange-pink mold, the spots still appear. And I could not, I would scrub them with a, with a toothbrush, I would try everything, and I could not get them to go away. And it was driving me nuts. And I learned from the grout guy, never, never use bleach. Because it softens your grout, which is really, really bad. Because it that makes it first of all it makes it easier for for mold to grow, and eventually your grout will crumble and fall apart. Very, very, very bad. Never use bleach on grout. So I did some searching around on Google, and I discovered people talking about tea tree oil. And I happened to have some in a in a bathroom cabinet, so I decided to give it a try. Now. I do not know if tea tree oil is bad for grout because a lot of people talk about bleach on Google. So, I could not t- find anybody talking about tea tree oil as being bad, so buy or beware. What I can say is that when I dipped a cotton swab into the tea tree oil and I gently rubbed at the orange pink mold, poof, it disappeared. It was like magic and I was totally thrilled. So again, buyer beware, I cannot guarantee that it will not damage your grout or your cock, but that is today's something cool. Tea tree oil as a miracle treatment for that annoying orange pink mold on your grout and cock in your shower. Enjoy. That's it. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me today. This one went kind of long. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always let me know by leaving a comment over in the show notes, livecreativenow.com slash 107. You can tweet me. I'm on Twitter at a underscore creative underscore life. You can find me on Instagram at a underscore creative underscore life. And if you have any questions you would like me to address on the show, hop on over to livecreativenow.com slash questions. That will give you all the instructions you need for how to leave me your question. I would love to answer it. As always, if you're getting value out of the podcast, the best way to thank me is to tell your friends and hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Not only would you make my day, but Leaving that rating and review is the best way to help other people find the show, help them live their own full-color creative lives. So you would be doing your part to help change the world. If you need step-by-step instructions, just go to livecreativenow.com slash iTunes hyphen review. That's livecreativenow.com slash iTunes hyphen review. That's it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me and go get creating. Mm-hmm. Live, creative now. Live creative now. Subscribe at livecreativenow.com.